This podcast features discussions about finances and money, which are general in nature. For personal advice specific to your circumstances, see a licensed financial planner or relevant qualified professional. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood, where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm Scott Malcolm, and today I'm joined by Ben Martian, who is the Head of Policy, Strategy and Innovation at the Financial Planning Association. Hey Ben. Hey Scott, thanks for having me on. You've had a bit of an interesting career, you do sort of government relations stuff, and I love the fact that you've got innovation in your title, I guess. We don't often hear about innovation and financial planning uh, coming together, but great to have you here today. We've been asking all our guests uh, about an early happy money memory. Uh, I come from a family of business owners and all I remember as I was a kid, and I suppose that's why it's a happy, happy money memory, is they would just talk about money always uh, when we were at the family dinner table. So once a week we had a family dinner with everybody and all the conversation would be about money, it'd be about businesses, it'd be about about how everyone's doing, what they're, what they're spending money on, all sorts of stuff. So it was about shares and companies. And so it, I've kind of always had it in my life. And I suppose for a while I went in a totally different direction. I decided I wanted to be a scientist and I wanted to to invent things and cure things and make the world a better place. And um, I've ended up back in financial advice because ultimately it all is about money. I love it. I love it. And those open, honest conversations about money are so important in life. And science, it, it sort of feel like science is um, a little bit what you're doing at the moment. Like you, you're talking about innovation and those sort of things. So there's, there's probably a sciencey element to it. Yeah. So uh, all through school and uni, I did science degrees. I majored in anatomy. I would, I spent three years being a cellular biologist. Um, science is very much about a process. You you have a set of tools that you use and you run experiments with them and analyze the data and write a report and then speak about what you found. And financial planning is very similar. You have a set of tools, which is the fact finds and the, the strategy tools and the products that you use and you collect data from the client, you analyze it, come up with recommendations and then present it back to them. And so the processes were very, very much similar. But one of the things with science is you're always looking for better and new ways to do whatever experiments you're doing. And so when I got into financial planning quite a lot, and particularly as I started to get into more senior roles, fintech became something that people were talking about, robo-advice. And there was a lot of fear about robots coming and taking the jobs of financial planners. And when I looked at the technology, I just didn't see Number one, I didn't see the technology being at such a point that we should be scared of it. Number two, clients ultimately want a trust relationship with a professional. That's what they're really looking for. They want to sit opposite somebody who can understand them, can help them make the right decisions, can keep them on track over time. And you don't get that from a computer program. So the innovation side came in. I started to help our members try and understand how technology could actually make their advice process more efficient make it more cost-effective to provide, but ultimately make it a lot more engaging for consumers and for their clients because getting a 100-page document 
is really unappealing as a consumer. I know I've got a financial plan or I've got a financial plan. If I ever want to look at my financial plan, I have to walk to the other end of the house. I have to go to the bottom of my filing cabinet, pull it out, go all the way to the back, find out my find my financial plan. And then I remember that it was written 12 years ago and I didn't have kids. I didn't have the house I live in. My mortgage was nothing at that time. My life was totally different. Look, we, we've talked about, for people listening at home, we've talked about sort of statements of advice and compliance processes. And it is one of the big cost-heavy elements that happens when consumers go out to get financial advice. They see a financial planner, they go away and, as you say, gather the data and then put together a, a chunky report and- Look, I've got my SOAs or statements of advice down to probably a 50 to 60 page document at this stage, but they're hefty documents. I, I often uh, apologize to clients as I go to present them. I say, look, I'm going to step you through this document, but I apologize that it is actually a, a dense read. It's, it's hard to, to take it all in. And so you've been working on a project with the Financial Planning Association, and I assume uh, also with your role uh, as sort of government liaison and, and engagement, but, but with our regulator to do video advice. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that is or how, how far you've got with the traction on that? Yeah, so just to take a small step backwards, about five or six years ago when I first started at the Financial Planning Association, and, and my role is is primarily government relations. So the a government or the regulator will put out a, a new law or a new policy document that they want feedback on. And so my job is to re- review it, put myself in Scott's shoes and say, is this going to work for Scott and is this going to work for his clients and provide feedback to the government about it. And one of the consultations was around a new uh, easy-to-use guide to creating statements of advice. And they talked about what they should look like and what they should should contain. And one of the really exciting things that they went in there is that they put in there was, we are technology neutral as a regulator. So you can use any technology to provide a statement of advice as long as it complies with, with these obligations. I went, awesome, that's great. We don't have to do paper SOAs. And so for two or three years, I told everybody, look, RG90 says, Regulatory Guide 90 says, you don't have to use paper anymore. And everybody kept using paper. I'm going, why would you use paper in, you know, 2019, 2020 to provide advice? So we did a project where we created digital SOAs and showed members that they could use digital SOAs to provide advice and so you could create a, an app or you could create a web page or a client portal that had the advice in it and it could be live and it could be updating and it could have video in it and audio in it and infographics and it could be interesting and clients could go back to it on a regular basis and show it off to friends at barbecues. But then we had COVID hit and everybody was figuring out how to deal with that and nobody was, nobody was really making the move. So we still got paper SOAs today, and so I sat down with with a with a colleague and went, "How do we how do we get this to happen?" And two things struck us. We went, "What is the cheapest and easiest bit of technology to record the advice that you're providing to a consumer?" And secondly, we're in a pandemic. Planners weren't seeing clients face to face at the time. They were doing Zoom calls and Teams calls and things like that. I mean, why can't you just record that meeting? Make sure you say statement of advice at the front of it. 
make sure you go through the client situation, make sure you go through your recommendations, make sure you disclose your fees and have that be as the SOA. And we looked through the law, all worked. We spoke to some clients, experts, it all worked. We spoke to some lawyers, they said it all works. We went to the regulator and they said, yeah, that that works. And so we went, okay, we're onto a winner here. So we, we created this video SOA concept. So it sounds like you would sit, you would do your SOA, you might record a video and you would provide that with a statement of advice, but that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about recording the meeting between you and the client where you provide the advice and that is the SOA. That's the concept. We've done some consumer research. We've done some meetings with regulators um, and, yeah, it seems to be a winner. Yeah, and, I mean, it, especially it sounds and, and look, I, I was joking the other day with a with a client and said, look, I'd love to be able to do my, my statements of advice via interpretive dance, but, look, I, I'm sure that's probably not something that, uh, that ASIC would be uh, totally down for. But you're saying that that would actually totally replace the written version of a, of a statement of advice. I'm just, I just have to sit back in that for a minute. Is that what you really said? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you said there ASIC wouldn't like an interpretive dance. If you recorded the interpretive dance, ASIC doesn't actually have a problem with you providing an interpretive dance to your client. You know, the consumer testing we did showed us that consumers actually read that you say 50 to 60 pages that you've got for your clients. Most of our members tell us their SOAs are, are 80 to 100 pages. The consumer research we did says clients sit and they will read that three or four times, not because they enjoy it in any way, shape or form, but what they want to do is bridge the gap between their level of knowledge about their financial position and you as the professional. They want to close that gap as much as possible so that they can make sure what you're recommending to them is right for them. So the idea of being able to sit through a video of them receiving the advice themselves and seeing their reaction to you providing the advice and seeing reminding themselves what questions they asked and what answers you gave to them is something that the clients thought, yeah, I would much prefer to sit there and watch a video of myself receiving that advice and hearing that advice and putting myself back in that moment again. That's a much better experience. So, yeah, consumers love it. Now, if you want to incorporate interpretive dance into that presentation, <laughs> go for it. I imagine it's also about that whole I don't know, understanding your client and understanding the, the person you're working with because we do all have those different learning styles and different ways that we actually interpret information and, and take on board information. So, um, I imagine that it's it's probably going to be another part of the advisor bow to sit down with getting to know your client and get to understand, okay, how am I best going to communicate with you? Is it actually that you're uh, a scientist or a, uh, an engineer or a teacher who wants to read stuff and, and digest the, the written word? Is it that you're a podcaster and you want to want to get your advice over over audio? Or again, is it more that, that you are into that interpretive dance <laughs> process? To, to make it work. That is probably really a, an innovation or a change that uh, will really benefit consumers because from what you were saying there, clients are um, receiving it well. So what, what did you say studies-wise or what, what feedback are you getting from uh, uh, the clients that you've been talking to about it? Yeah, so we recorded a, a bunch of video SOAs with, with members who were interested in the project and wanted to get going with it. So 
we benefited from the fact that ASIC has a sample of an SOA. So clients can pick up that sample if they want to have a look at it and, and understand what a statement of advice looks at. So what we did is we took a group of clients and we, we gave them the paper-based version that ASIC created. Two years ago, we'd created a digital version of that with some infographics and some videos and some audio and some, some tables that they could interact and engage with. We gave them that and then we gave them a version of the video SOA and we said, go away, read the paper one, have a look at the digital one, here's the video version. So the feedback we got was that they will read the paper one three or four times, but they don't enjoy it in any way. They don't feel like they learn much from it. The interactive one was was obviously a lot more engaging and they enjoyed the process a lot more and they enjoyed watching some of the videos and, and listening to the SOA rather than having to read the SOA. But it was still very structured and it was still very much about here is a document that's ticking boxes and giving me the information, but in a in a very ticker box box approach. Whereas when they were just the video versions, while it wasn't their advice themselves, they could see the clients and they could see the planner and they could see the conversation going on. They said, oh, I learned something there. And, and I could see how when I talk to my planner, if I was going through this experience, you know, I've gone through this experience and I understand this experience and I would love to watch it back because when you're going through that process, they're throwing a lot of information at me, which I'm trying to take in as quickly as possible, but I just can't keep up because I'm just not at that level of understanding. When they talk about account-based pensions and they talk about concessional contributions and they talk about deductible contributions and they talk about salary sacrifice, and I don't get all that. But when he explains it to me and I can watch it back in the video, then my understanding comes and I can ask questions and clarification. And and so this is just the experience is a lot better. And I'd, I'd, I'd watch that every few months just to remind myself of what my plan is and what my strategy is. And I'd probably show it off at barbecues. So I go to a barbecue and I tell my friends, look at my financial plan. And here's my financial plan and give me my financial plan. What's yours look like? So consumers told us that it's just a much better way way to do it i mean the reality is video is probably the the cheapest and the easiest and most accessible way to produce advice today you fast forward five years it's probably going to be some metaverse experience and and that'll be the technology that we're using but but video is 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 nice and accessible and easy to do today yeah look and i'm I'm all for the interpretive dance ben can you take that to the next meeting you have with asic please i'd, I'd love to hear the feedback no no <laughs> As I said, we asked them lots of questions when we were going through this process and they went, you know what, as long as you call the interpretive dance a statement of advice, we're fine with it. All right, that, that's going to be the challenge, how to uh, turn a statement of advice into interpretive dance. But um, you've talked a lot about the benefits and, and how people can, uh, I guess, get that information and then, as you say, test it and learn from it and, and build up their skill sets around it. What are some of the pitfalls or, or challenges that you, you sort of foresee with video advice? I know, obviously, we work in a compliance-driven uh, environment. Again, most of the time, I, I don't think clients actually appreciate why some of those things are there, but it is there for consumer protection. But yeah, what, what are some of those pitfalls that might, uh, might creep in? I think from a legal and regulatory perspective, there's not a lot of risk around it if you need to provide further advice you can just get on just get on another call with the client provide further advice where planners have come to us and said yeah that sounds good but tend to be around things like 
my compliance person does file reviews. How are they going to review this video? Well, they'll watch a video. The biggest brain shift that I think planners have to get their head around is at the moment when you look at a statement of advice, there'll be a laundry list of why a particular strategy is of benefit to the client. And what planners tend to do is put all of them into there just in case any of them are actually relevant to the client and just in case that they want to want to make sure that they don't miss one. They can remove things and they should be removing things because you should only have benefits or, or risks that are relevant to the client, but they tend to leave them in because they just want to make sure that they've covered all the bases. The reality is there's probably only two or three of them that are actually relevant. And the big mind shift for planners is where you've got a list of 10 benefits that, that might be applicable to some of your clients. Stopping at two or three is fine. And when you see the client's eyes start to glaze over going, yeah, yeah, I get it. I see why it's a benefit. Stopping at that point and not going through the list of eight to 10 risks. But if we're talking about salary sacrifice, for example, and, you know, the risk of this is you're not going to have access to the money. You understand that if you want to go on a holiday in six months' time, this money is going to be in super and you're not going to have access to it. And the client says, uh, yeah, okay, I understand that. And I understand if I don't, if I do this, I'm going to be better off for retirement, but I'm not going to go on a holiday. You can stop there. But if you go to a statement of advice, there's probably five or six other risks that sit around salary sacrifice. And that's the biggest mind shift that I think planners need to make. There's a lot of irrelevant information that sits on those documents. Is, is it fair to say that probably, and look, I'm a, a member of a, uh, a dealer group and licensee, and again, there's probably, I know, benefits, challenges, all those sort of things, depending on the, the structure of the, the environment that advisors sit in. But is it fair to say that professional standards teams and compliance teams and auditors have probably still got to change their thinking as well in regards to, okay, what is compliant advice and how can we tick our boxes to say, yes, advice has been delivered in a, a compliant and a, an effective way to this client? Yeah, well, they love a checklist. And so what they want to be able to go to do is go to page 20 and see that they can tick that box and, and want to go to page 25 and tick the next box and go to page 35 and tick the next box. The idea that you have a free-flowing conversation that, that goes all over the place um, is, you know, not ideal for them. But the reality is if you're providing advice in a way that the outcome for the client is that they understand the advice better, then that's a much better experience for the client. You're going to have a lot less compliance issues. You're going to have a lot less complaints issues. So there is a shift in thinking that needs to happen. Um, has all the right information been collected? We'll check that. And then thinking about ways to transcribe the video might become important so that they can look through the transcript and find the bits that they need. But, you know, we've also tested this with AFCA. And Africa would much prefer to sit there and, you know, five years down the track and go, well, here's a video of you explaining that the client didn't have access to the, the money because they were salary sacrificing and it was preserved. And the client sitting there going, yes, I understand that. I know I can't go on these holidays over the next two or three years because I'm doing this. It's okay because I've got this money saved up. Now, if the client's gone away and spent money that wasn't in the plan and wasn't what they agreed and then can't go on a holiday, but there's a video of them going, yes, I really understand this. Africa's just going to find in your favour um, in terms of that complaint. But the client's also less likely to complain. Because you go go to your statement of advice, fast forward to minute 45, and we have a conversation about why you're not going on this holiday now. And the client will go, oh, yeah, I remember that. 
So, yeah, there's, there's a shift in thinking that has to happen at that licensee compliance compliance level. But I think because it's a better consumer experience, they've just got to get their head around it. I think you're right. It, it's got to happen because the, the advice process is such a fluid process anyway because uh, the client journey, like people will come into an advisor's office generally because something has gone on in their life and they, they want to change or adjust. They don't just wake up and go, oh, I want to go see Scott today or I want to see a financial planner today. It's because there's an event happening. And so that event might not need every bit of advice to be looked after, but it might be the starting point to then a, a long-term journey. And so, yeah, having something that can evolve and, and move and be with the client where they're at is is so important. That's really exciting, Ben. I, I love all that stuff. And um, I'll share some of the links through the FPA website on some of the, the stuff you've been doing. We've just had a new government, and I guess government relations is a, a part of your uh, your role since the Royal Commission, obviously we've seen and something we've talked about before on we had Marissa Broom on the podcast uh, earlier talking about sort of how regulation and Royal Commission and advisor numbers have been diminishing. I think I'm passionate about access to advice. I think if all Australians can access advice, we have a much better society. We, we get people to have a, a more engaged uh, relationship with money, uh, more peace of mind, all those sort of things. Are there signs or what's your expectation from the, the new government uh, around what may be happening in the advice space? Technology and, and access to advice and reducing cost is probably one of those big hurdles, but um, I guess advisor numbers is something that uh, I'm, I'm worried about. Yeah, so there's a, there's a review going on at the moment by an independent reviewer called the Quality of Advice Review, and it's a 12-month look at how advice is provided in Australia, not just by financial planners, but also more holistically by by products, by um, other types of advice providers and thinking about the regulatory framework that sits around a holistic advice provision from um, information provided by products to, to what you do, Scott. The government's kind of indicated they're just going to wait and see what that review says and you know we've had a lot of meetings with them and i would love to be able to share some of the conversations we've had but unfortunately they share information with us on the proviso that we don't share it out but you know one of the focuses i can talk about is that to your point they're really concerned about financial planner numbers as well and they're concerned about how long it takes to provide a piece of advice and they're concerned about how expensive it is so they've got that mindset on there is absolutely a role and a need for Australians to be able to have access to professional financial planners and have somebody that's just, they can trust, that's professional, that's well-educated, that is looking out for their best interests and have access to that in a way that's affordable and much easier to, to provide and produce. Um, and so you can let the professionals spend more of their time helping more Australians receive advice and the kind of shift that needs to happen there is that we've currently got a what you would call a very inputs-based regulatory system where you have to tick all these boxes with all these inputs and the assumption is if you tick all those boxes, the output will be that you provide advice that's in the best interest of the client and it'll be professional. If you shifted things around to say, you must provide advice in the best interest of, their cli- of the client, 
you can move to an outputs-based regulation. And that provides a lot more flexibility in terms of how you might collect information, how you might uh, document the advice that you're providing. Video SOA would be a one way of doing it, but there's probably a lot of different ways to do it. That makes the process a lot more efficient, makes it a lot more scalable and probably allows you to focus more, a lot more of your time on that interaction with the client, providing them with advice rather than all the compliance things that you're doing. So they've certainly got their head in that kind of space and thinking about those kinds of issues. And so I, I'm hopeful that the kind of recommendations that will come out are, you know, not earth shattering, nothing that we we haven't been thinking about, but create a regulatory environment that's a lot more focused on Let's just help the consumer get the right advice at the right time, quickly and efficiently um, in a way that protects them the right way, but a way that makes sure it's in their best interest rather than this cottage industry we've got of ticking boxes and making sure we've, we've got a million pieces of data that are actually relevant to, to the client and the circumstances of getting the right thing. So what I'm hopeful of is, yes, there are less planners than there used to be, but they'll be able to, to double or triple their client base, see a lot more people, do it a lot more effectively and efficiently, and and that'll help. And then we need some other stuff to happen to, to help more Australians, but but at least that'll be a good start. So I think that's where the focus the focus for the government is going to be. Um, but we've just got this review on that's going to go out to the end of this year, and then we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's always, I guess, so much. It's so important because I guess, yeah, people – Money is involved. I don't know fear and greed and other elements come into the, to play, and so it is about having a, a really robust system and, and framework there. Um, but as you say, I think um, with some of those elements coming together, that's uh, that's fab. We, we do keep these episodes short and sweet, Ben. It's been great having you on, and as I say, we'll add uh, your contact details and, and some of the projects that you've been working on. I'm uh, looking forward to trying to uh, choreograph my uh, interpretive dance for the uh, next piece of advice that I pull together uh, for a client. <laughs> but um, any any final words uh, as we wrap up? Well, firstly, if you do produce that interpretive dance, I would love to share that with the rest of our members so that they can also follow in your footsteps. I think that would be phenomenal. But no, thank you for having me on. I think for any any of your listeners out there that are numbing and ahhing about whether or not they should get, get a financial planner or whether or not they should read their 50 to 60 page SOA that you're you're producing. I think there's some exciting technology, there's some exciting innovation coming in the not too distant future. And Having somebody sit down and create a plan for you and then keep you accountable to that plan is is one of the best things you can do in your life and you'll sleep more peacefully at night. You'll know that you're achieving your goals and doing the things that you want to do in your life and there's nothing, nothing better in life than ticking your own goals and objectives off and making sure you, you do those trips to Europe or those renovations you want to do or helping the grandkids and, and that's what planners help you do live your best life. So. Thank you for having me on, Scott. Keep up the amazing work. Thanks, Ben. And uh, yeah, look, that's right. It, it's all about having that framework around your money. We're, we're human beings. We're born into this financial system. Uh, and it's all about learning uh, your insights and, and navigating it uh, to the best of your ability. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. If you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, like it and uh, share it. And uh, we'll see you next time. 